But today we're going to um, I, I answer this question. Someone asked, what can the Bible teach us about resolving conflict and overcoming anger? What can the Bible teach us about resolving conflict and overcoming anger? This question was given to me anonymously, and I'm, I'm not honestly not surprised by that, because this is one of those subjects that can be a little bit of a stigma, like, well, I don't want to be the one known that I'm asking about something that's personal. Um, but um, we really are just going to kind of scratch the surface a little bit today. Um, but instead of just digging into one scripture, we're going to pull from a few different key passages and see if we can find some action steps. So you asked for it. Number two, you make me so angry. All right. Uh, conflict and anger are not the same thing. But they are closely related. Conflict is normal. Conflict is normal. Everyone experiences conflict. But ongoing, unresolved conflict can lead to a, a host of emotional events, let's call them, such as anger or even rage, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, retaliation, maliciousness, gossip, even violence. So, yes, conflict is a problem, but it's common to all of us. There's none of us that have never experienced conflict. Let's first make sure we understand what conflict is. And so to do that, I'm going to need an onstage volunteer. How about one of our youth? Joel, can you help me with this? So, um, Joel, I want you to just stand right, stand, stand right there. Okay. Um, now, a conflict is what happens when your way is blocked. Okay. So we're going to imagine, I, I really didn't think to, to be eating a little few too many donuts. So I didn't bring real donuts, but let's imagine there's donuts on the other side. And I want the donuts. Now, conflict is, Joel says, no, they're my donuts. I'm not letting you have them, right? So Joel gets in my way, and he's going he's gonna... to... You can be seated. Right? Conflict is what happens when your way is blocked. And uh, I'm actually really excited. As you were bouncing around, I thought, you know, it was a year ago today that I broke my ankle. So that's pretty exciting that I can do that. Um, uh, maybe, well, like maybe you want a donut and the store is closed. Or uh, maybe you want some time off work and the boss says no. Uh, maybe you and your sister disagree about an issue. Uh, maybe you want a good reputation at work. That's what's on the other side of your block. You want a good reputation at work, but you have a coworker who spreads lies about you. Maybe uh, you want a relationship with your spouse, but death or divorce has blocked you from that relationship with him or her. That's a conflict. You could just go on and on. Conflict. Might, I mean, your desire might be for something tangible or something emotional. But any time, and depending how strongly you want what's on the other side of that block, depends how strong of an emotional response you're going to have to being prevented from getting to it. Now, the conflict is going to affect your um, relationship with a perceived blocker, right? So, like, if, if those really donuts on the other side and Joel's standing here, how am I going to be feeling about Joel? Not very positively, Right? I'm going to be a little potentially angry, right? If your coworker slanders you, uh, 
you may avoid them or even retaliate or tempted to. Or if you're a widow or a widower and you believe God you know, took your spouse, you may well be angry at God for something God didn't actually do. It was death that took your partner, not God. But any time we perceive that block, that can be the kind of the focal point or the target of our emotional response, particularly when it's anger. It's when conflict gives way to anger that we have the problem. Conflict is what happens when your way is blocked. Anger is what happens when we lose self-control in response to conflict. Now, let's say Joel is here and I, I just lose it and I just, I just deck him, right? That would be problematic, especially because his parents are sitting right over there. And his dad's a lot taller than me. Um, so anger is what happens when we lose self-control in response to conflict. So instead of looking for peaceful ways to dismantle, you know, the barrier or the conflict, um, anger is like a bulldozer that just wants to smash it down or attempt to smash it down. Anger says, I will get my way regardless of the relational cost or damage. But anger itself is not a sin. You can find a couple examples in the Bible where Jesus was angry, angry with his disciples for not letting him get to the children. He was angry, I think, angry at death in the grave when he, when he uh, went to see um, Lazarus and raised Lazarus from the tomb. It says that Jesus was angry. And um, the, the problem is that it's easy to sin when we're angry. So sin itself, anger itself is not a sin, but it's easy to sin when we're angry. And there are spiritual and psychological reasons for that. Um, you know, just physiologically, your, your, your body uh, wants to preserve core. You lose um, blood flow to your extremities. And so now your brain's not functioning as much. And you get into an argument with somebody and you realize you can't even think straight. Well, that's because physiologically, think your body is responding to the threat. And so there's a lot of things that go on why you need to kind of pull away from that. Um, but let's turn to um, Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. And like I say, we're just going to jump to a few different spots in the, in the Bible today. And uh, so you can remain seated. Just two verses, page 599 if you're in that red church Bible. If you feel like today is more like a counseling conversation than a, than a message. I'm okay with that. I've got a couple of books I'm going to recommend at the end for you. Here's Jesus speaking from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And you can see your text notes for some variations on that. Even if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. God's court. Anger can be really destructive to others now, but to yourself later. If you're, if you're angry, 
you're an angry person, even if it's with a calm, you know, smiley face kind of anger, I'll tell you, the people closest to you, they know it, they recognize it, and they're tired of it. And I bet you're tired of it too. Anger comes from pride. Anger says, I will have my way, and if I don't get my way, I will make you pay. Or I'll make you fear me, so that next time I will get my way. Some of you have worked for employers like that. Some of you still work for a boss like that. Some of you had a parent like that. Or a grandparent like that. Maybe you had a sibling like that. The angry person believes they can control other people and that it's actually their job to control other people. They, wanna, they, they feel like it's their job to control their children or their co-workers or their spouse. And then when that anger doesn't get the desired results, it progresses to rage so that they snap like that in traffic and you get road rage incidents. So the question is, that I was asked, how does one overcome anger? It starts with a renewing of your mind, a new way of thinking. You're going to have to learn that your anger is always your choice. Right? So when, some, when you are tempted to say to someone, oh, you make me so mad. Right? Now, I'll be honest. I have uttered those words to my spouse or sometimes without under my breath. Oh, I mean, he was so, he was so mad. Oh, right? Am I the only one or no? No. Okay. There's a few others in this room, right? Oh, you make me so mad. Oh, you just, right? Guess what? That person can't make you do anything. Your emotional response is your decision, your choice. Now, it might have become such a habit that you don't even realize it. But it's always your decision. And so, if I'm going to overcome anger, it begins with a renewing of the mind. Romans chapter 12 talks about that. To be renewed in your mind, to have a new way of thinking. As you submit your will, your desires, your pride, right, to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you you start to become aware of your anger triggers. Those, those moments that are likely to just set you off. And uh, you want to address those. Sometimes they're just a physical thing. Um, sometimes it's a word or a phrase or you get into a situation. Um, and as you become aware of that, you can actually learn to control yourself instead of letting anger control you. But you control yourself because the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working in you and makes that possible. It begins to renew your mind and say, When even just simply realizing, oh, wait a second, this is my choice? I don't have to respond like this? You mean my my spouse, my boss, isn't actually the one that makes me angry? It's it's my choice to respond? Oh. See, anger is a tool that immature and powerless people use to get their way. Anger is a tool that immature and powerless people use to get their way. It's also a bad habit that you may have learned unintentionally from a parent or someone else. A powerless person, for example, demands respect. You will respect me, right? And then uses anger to get that respect. While a powerful person doesn't need to control others and knows that a a, a relationship connection is more valuable than winning the conflict. Let me try to explain that in another another way. So a, a powerless or angry person uses anger to say, I'm going to get you to respect me. But it's not respect, it's fear that they're getting from other people. 
But if I can learn to respect you to be a respectful person, well, I suddenly am easier to respect because I'm respectful. And so I gather respect by learning to respect you. Doesn't, none of this comes naturally, I don't think. I think these are all things that we learn under the power of the Spirit. So a respectful person is easy to respect. Even parents, those of you who are raising young children, even when you learn to be respectful to your children, I'm not saying wrapped around their little finger, but learning to be respectful to your children, they will learn to respect you back because you've given them value and worth as a human. All right, so that's anger. We're dealing with anger. Now let's, let's see what the Bible has to say about resolving conflict because like I said, they're not the same, but they are related. Let's continue with the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. So he's just talked about there's a, a real important reason to, to address your anger because unresolved anger, anger uncontrolled, is going to lead you to say and do things that are going to bring you under judgment. Hurtful, destructive things to other people. Let's carry on. Verse 23 of Matthew 5, he says this. So, right, in response to an anger confrontation, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, Jesus isn't clarifying necessarily whether it's something you actually did or just that that person has against you regardless. But either way, if you're aware, you go to that person. And then look, um, move a few, several more chapters in Matthew to Matthew 18. Picking up at verse 15. Here Jesus has been addressing uh, life in the kingdom and how life in the kingdom of God works. And he, he picks it up. Let's pick it up at Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Interesting here that Jesus is talking about the church before the church exists. So he's forecasting what's to come. Uh, If the person still refuses to listen, verse 17, take your case to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, we love them, but we recognize they are lost and in need of saving. So there's two sides to a conflict between you and another person, right? Either someone has sinned against you or you've sinned against them. And in either case, Jesus puts you in charge of rebuilding that connection. We could say it this way. You're responsible when you're aware of a relationship problem. You are responsible when you're aware of a relationship problem. When we're in a conflict and, um, you know, we, we, we're tempted to say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It didn't, didn't really bother me that much. Ah, it, it's okay. It's no big deal. You know, the other person started it. They need to come talk to me first. You know, when they come, then I'll, then I'll you know, deal with it. Or, oh, I'm, I'm over it. Jesus doesn't let us off that easily, unfortunately. Right? Particularly in the context of worship, he's saying your, your conscience is going to be heightened. You're at, the, you're at the altar, he says. You've, you've come to worship 
in this case, at the temple, you've come to worship and there you remember, ah, there's a problem. Because the context of worship is, is one of the things worship does is it heightens our conscience. It heightens our awareness. And uh, so he, he's saying, look, it's better to skip church and go make things right than to ignore it and bring your offering in worship. There, there's a sense of urgency in what Jesus is saying here, too. Don't, don't put it off. Not even for being at church. Um, and if you think this is easy, um, I don't find this easy. And maybe you do. Help me out if you do. But I, I don't find this easy at all. Now, why would Jesus have this kind of pressure or this instruction to, to don't put it off, take care of it right away? Well, it's because our relationships with each other matter to our larger community. Bad feelings have a way of spreading. And then they'll negatively impact our ability to worship God, negatively impact our ability to hear God, to hear and listen to one another, to love each other. And then unchecked conflicts have a tendency to go viral. Right. So that I may spread my conflict with person A, with person B and C. Can you believe what that person said? Can you believe what she did to me? Can you believe what he he did to me? Ah, oh, He's whatever. And then all of a sudden we started to spread that conflict. And maybe person A and I get it resolved. But person B and C are still a little bit ticked at person A. Instead of dealing with it first and straight away. So even if you don't think it's your fault or problem. Jesus wants you to take initiative. An unresolved conflict can actually lead you to see the other person as a bad person. Oh, that, that guy is just awful. That, that girl, that woman is just whatever. Right? You see them as a bad person rather than as a needy person. Or rather than as someone who is trying but doesn't know better. Or maybe they're insecure or scared or overwhelmed. And so instead of praying for them, we reject them. I mean, all of us have done this. I have. Conflicts don't usually get resolved either in just one conversation. Sometimes, but in his instruction, Jesus definitely has this tone of of urgency. Start dealing with it. And so that would be point three. Deal with problems quickly and directly. Deal with problems quickly and directly using those same passages there. Conflicts often get worse because we let them fester. And uh, I think this one is the hardest one for me because I hate confrontation. And so for me, I'm just kind of rather passively prefer that everything just goes away and gets better by itself. But it doesn't. So as Jesus says, whether someone else has sinned or whether you've you've offended the other person, approach quickly and directly. And you can just say, hey, it seems there, there might be a problem between us. I, I'd like to resolve it. Whether it's your spouse or a coworker or a friend takes humility got to take responsibility don't don't use accusations or name calling when you're doing this either don't don't say you know you've been a real selfish jerk and i'm here to forgive you (laughs) that's not going to be that helpful right or um you know i don't know why you're being so sensitive about what i said but i'm sorry that you couldn't handle my sarcasm that doesn't help Right. Take the responsibility for the part that's yours. You know, those of you who work on machines and machinery equipment, for example, you know what can happen when you leave things broken down for too long. Right. Old motors, they'll seize up the seals and the gaskets, they'll harden, they'll crack belts, fray and they break eventually. When things break down, you you make the effort to repair them as quickly as you can. 
so that you can get back on the road and keep moving and avoid things getting actually worse. If you leave it alone, it gets worse. So I say this all with one caveat, one warning here, and that's that not all relationships in your life are on the same level. Not all your relationships have the same importance. Um, I think that's fair to say. So some, you might find that some relationships actually, at least for a time being, are even better kept at a little bit of a safe distance. There may be some toxic or abusive people in your life. Um, someone, you know, could be even a parent or a coworker or someone who, um, they're a destructive person to you. And so it's, it's okay to create what we would call boundaries, some safe distance, uh, caring enough about them to not let them continue their destructive behavior in your life. But it is possible to, res- to resolve conflict without necessarily, if the time's not right, without necessarily restoring a close friendship. One of the, um, you, you might say it this way, you, you can appreciate a rattlesnake without cuddling it. I don't know if you've ever seen a rattlesnake in the wild. How many of you have seen a rattlesnake in the wild? Wow. I had no idea. Okay, so you know how when you saw that rattlesnake, in one sense, you're sort of in awe of how beautiful it is. But, I mean, you're pretty quick to avoid getting away from it, right? No? No? No others? Shovel. Shotgun does it too, I've heard. Yeah. All right. Really? I'm, I'm, how many, again, show me that show of hands again. How many of you have seen a rattlesnake in the wild? Look at that. That's easily 75%. That's impressive. Babe, we got to get out more. <laughs> yeah. I never need to see another one, to be honest, in the wild. I've seen one. That's enough. Um, so you can you can um, restore a relationship without necessarily getting close. One of the one of the best Bible examples of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had taken um, um, uh, Barnabas and John Luke on a missionary tour, and John Luke got partway into the trip and he he couldn't handle it and he went home. So the next missionary tour they're going to go. Paul and Barnabas it's like, okay, let's go. And and Barnabas says we're going to take John Mark, and Paul's like, no way. I do not trust that guy. He ditched us last time. He can't handle it. He's not cut out for this. There's no way. And the Bible says they had a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas. You you, you know that Barnabas had invested something like 15 years into Paul's life, mentoring Paul, discipling him, helping him. Right. And they are like, Paul's like, no way. And it was enough to to break apart their friendship. A couple of really good things came of that. One is um, Barnabas said, fine, I'll take John Mark. And John, Paul, uh, Barnabas took John Mark to Cyprus, which was um, Barnabas's kind of home territory. So he took, he eased John Mark into a into a familiar way, kind of helped him along. And 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 Paul took Silas, and they went off in the other direction. But you can see in the letters of Paul, little by little, he makes a few more mentions of Mark. To the end of of Paul's life, Mark has become like a close um, co-worker with him. So Paul restored that relationship, but it did take time. It took time to build that trust. And I think that's okay for that trust to rebuild. All right. Um, Some relationships, 
So I talk about distance with some. Some need to be reconciled. Your marriage, for example, is a covenant relationship, a promise made to God and made to people. And so you have an obligation to each other, to your family, to the wider community to work on your problems, if at all possible. And I know that doesn't always happen. It's two sided. I get that. So you do what you can um, to to get it right. Get whatever help you need. Admit that it's never just one sided. Get it restored, if at all possible. So maybe this next point is obvious, but I would say this. Number four, resolution requires connection. Resolution requires connection. Let's move to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Um, now Paul's writing to the, the church in Rome. And um, he has this to say in chapter, uh, verse 16, kind of in the middle of a paragraph probably in your Bible. But Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 16. Paul writes, he's just talked about, again, the new life and the kingdom of God and what it means to be in the church and how to love one another. And then he says in verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. See, um, when he says live in harmony with one another in, in verse 16, he's, he's pointing out that you can't do conflict resolution without contact or without communication. This is why I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of, for example, couples who will, who will separate for a while to, to work on their marriage. Generally, that's not going to help because you can't work on it when you're not together. You can only manage your side of the relationship, however. And there's freedom in realizing that you cannot control another person. You can only control your response to that person. So as far as it is up to you, Paul says, make peace. Even if you've lost touch with the other, or maybe the the person you're thinking about has actually died, they've passed away. You're the one set free when you release them by forgiving, by dropping the grudge, by refusing to collect on these emotional debts. There's no resolution without connection. And I'm always amazed at how quickly a problem can be resolved when we'll talk in person. I'm not a fan of conflict resolution by text message or email. It tends to not work very well. Pick up the phone, meet for coffee, have a lunch, do something to keep your communication going so you can move toward connection. Number five is to this. Make the great exchange. Make the great exchange. One more scripture passage. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. So go to Romans and then the two Corinthians and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Finally, you get to Colossians. Colossians chapter three, a little bit of a longer section here, but let me read this for you. Colossians chapter three, starting at verse five. Paul, very often in his letters, starts with some sort of theology, you know, kind of technical belief and then how to live that out. Colossians 3, starting at 5, he says, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Verse 6, Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Verse 9, don't lie to each other, 
For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Which is kind of a stream of, of things to do. But we would say this, make the great exchange. Let me put it this way. I don't know if you've ever come home from a work day and you've got an event that evening that you've got to go to. What, what's the kind of the thing that you do to get ready? You, you change, right? You take your, get out of your work clothes and you, you put on your dinner, going out clothes, whatever that, that looks like. Maybe it's a date or a, a function you need to go to. There's an exchange that happens. Uh, and the same is true for the believer. So Paul has listed several sins here that, that we need to get rid of, to Put away from our lives. Greed, lust, sexual immorality, rage, slander, profanity. But, of course, you can't do that in your own strength, your own effort. Instead, you can as you put on your new nature. And again, this is this kind of lifelong process that God has invited you into as this Holy Spirit works in your life. Verse 12 and following, he explains, he says, Clothe yourselves with... Tenderhearted, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. That's how it happens. This exchange, a new dressing yourself in a new way. You're, you're replacing the old with something better. The believer, it says, will even make allowance for one another's faults. I can let you not be perfect. So there's a great exchange. I disrobe of my anger, my rage, and other sins, and I dress in kindness and love and humility, thankfulness, and so on. We can't get rid of one behavior without Something better. So in the case of anger and conflict, you've got to ask this key question. We're kind of coming into the end here. What's my goal? What's my goal? What do I want to achieve? Is it my goal to just get my way? Or do I want to achieve something better than that? Right? Something better would be to build up the other person. To be more Christ-like. To have the opportunity to serve. To improve the overall atmosphere. To strengthen the relationship. Or to strengthen the community. Or to practice generosity. Or whatever it is. What's the goal in a conflict situation? Is it to get my own way? Or is there something higher? When you think about in a marriage, for example. If you're in a conflict with your spouse. Right? And you're arguing about whether you should watch um, American Idol or The Voice. Right? And you're like... No, we have to watch The Voice. And she says, no, we have to watch American Idol. And so you have a conflict there. I have no idea if those shows are even still on the air or not, whatever. But, um, you know, you have a conflict that you're, how are you going to resolve this? If you say, we are going to watch The Voice, and you find a way to, to make it happen. Well, guess what? You won, right? Actually, you lost. Because... You did more damage in getting your way. So what's the greater goal here? 
The, the, the greater goal is marital connection, harmony, unity. And so you find a way to say, what's more important? That, that benefit and overall harmony of our relationship, the harmony of our connection, or getting my way? So you've got to ask that when you get into a conflict situation. What's the goal here? Maybe you just want the person to say, you're right. That's a, that's a very short-range goal. So there, there are a number of things better than just getting your own way. Um, Josh, I'm going to invite you and the worship team to come back. Uh, I think we have one closing song. There's, there's one more thing to keep in mind. Just mention this as they come up. All of this is only possible because God showed the way. Without Christ, you and I are in conflict with God. Our sin, my sin, your sin is rebellion. It's a rejection of God's way. It's a rebellion against God. And yes, even before we can remember, and even long after we've come to Christ for salvation, we continue to struggle with sin. By nature, we want our own way, like a two-year-old. We want it our way. That's just in our nature to want that. So God has, or God had, I should say, every reason to be angry with you and with me. He has every reason to be angry because of our rejection of his way, our choice of doing sin instead of following him. He had every reason to reject us, every reason to hold a grudge. God's the only one that's perfect. And so God's the only one entitled to all of those things. God could do all those things we're tempted to to do to others. And instead, instead, God sent his son, Jesus, so that you and I could be reconciled, restored in relationship to God. A relationship with God is God's idea, not yours and not mine. Think about that. It was God's idea to have a relationship with you. You didn't create that. He initiated that. And so instead of anger, the Bible says that God demonstrated his great love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you think, I don't know, I can't do this conflict thing. I, I, I did this too hard. I'm just it's not worth it. I'm telling you, God made the way God understands what it means for us to be in conflict with him. And he took the initiative. To demonstrate his great love. So if you're struggling with conflict today. Or anger. Or rage. I want to tell you. You don't need to live like that any longer. You don't have to be that person. If you find yourself just yelling all the time. Or losing it with your spouse. Or you know losing it with your kids. You don't have to live like that. You do your part to make peace. Yes. But you can make that great exchange. Taking off the old nature. And putting on. The new nature of love, humility, kindness, thankfulness, and peace. It's possible by God's great mercy.